Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Grandstand cricket. With a splendid innings for New Zealand. But they are all out for 372. Another test is done and dusted. Now it's time for some post-match parlay with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The Final Word with ABC Grandstand. Welcome to The Final Word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon with you. It's peak summer. There's men's one-day internationals. There's the Women's Big Bash League. And there, of course, is a test series starting between Australia and Pakistan this Thursday. Jeff in Brisbane. There's a lot to go through today. We look forward to all of it. But I think we're going to start with the the one-day Chapel Hadley Trophy, Jeff. And really, it was a fairly underwhelming contest on the whole with three pretty convincing victories for the hosts. Yeah, I mean, just maybe just whelming, you know, that sort of mid-whelm. Um, you know, I, I, it was a decent kind of first innings. I was at the MCG to watch that game and, you know, had fun during the the, this, the Australian knock. It was one of those difficult pitches that Melbourne serves up, you know, over the years where everyone's expecting 300, but you can't actually make it. David Warner was... Absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then it really just fell away. It was one of those terribly dull second halves as the Kiwis just kept falling over. Yeah, and this happened in all three of the games. You yeah. know, there, was a, there, was a, there was a formula of sorts. And in Canberra on the Tuesday, I think we, we recorded it just before that game. So it, It's the Jekyll and Hyde thing of one-day cricket. You know, like 50-over games can be amazing and they can be just absolutely tiresome. And I think we had the latter, unfortunately. Yeah, we did. I mean, it was, it was a poor decision from Kane Williamson with the benefit of hindsight setting Australia. And I don't think anyone bowls first at Canberra. Canberra! It's a, it's a slab of the Federal Highway out there. <laughs> Even with a bit of rain about it, it's an unlikely call. No, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, like there was slight shower at the toss, but it was it was very 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 brief. And I mean, what Duckworth Lewis wasn't going to come into play, surely? Um, yeah, just bizarre. Especially when you look at last year, where Australia made what three eighty and India made three thirty chasing or something like that. You know, pretty decent for batting. Maybe just have a bat. Yeah, the, the two senior Australian players uh, demonstrated that in David Warner with his hundred and nineteen, his sixth one day hundred of the of the of the calendar year. And we'll, we'll speak about him in some depth in a moment. And Steve Smith seven. Continuing his stellar form from Sydney on the Sunday night. Travis Head made 57 off 32 balls. I think he kind of showed there the contrast between the innings he played at Sydney, which was a controlled knock in challenging circumstances, and here he needed mm-hmm. to put the foot down and play that, I guess, that 20 overall we've seen him play before and, and did it with some success in both here and then like he has in the T20 games, clearing the fence at will, really, wasn't he? He was batting beautifully. Well, yeah, and I mean, even in uh, even in Melbourne on that sort of tricky wicket, he then came in and, and kind of battled out in innings at that point, which was, which was you know, not his usual style, um, slower strike rate, but he was really important with the ball as well. Yeah, well, we might as well skip forward to that uh, reference we're to kind of doing Melbourne. All yeah, we're, yeah, we, we might as well. And with Head... Uh, you can't tell us what to do, man. Yeah, I know. We've got no we don't have a base structure. We've got, we got a vague structure. We're not going to stick religiously to it. So Trevor's Head did bat for 70 balls in Melbourne. Melbourne for 37. Normally uh-huh. you wouldn't laud that in 50 over cricket, uh-huh. certainly not in 2016. But again, it showed that, that, that contrast between what he can play when he needs to, that he's digging in and, and playing yeah. that more accumulative role, and what he can do when he, when he has the freedom to, to you know, free up the arms a wee bit. And, and that, I think that's why that was such an impressive series for him. It's that he was able to shift gears. And again, I know I made the reference to Michael Bevan last week, but that's exactly what he did. At, he, at his right. best, he was able to um, hit long in the last 10 overs. But really, that wasn't when he... Uh, was most important. It was when Australia was struggling. And in Melbourne, Australia were down to 
Ball for 73. They were two for 10 earlier after Finch and Smith yep. got both got caught in a leg side trap. And Marsh and Bailey went both on 73 in Melbourne and Head needed to, to bat with David Warner and let the senior man and take control of the innings. And he was the perfect foil. Yeah, well, Head and Bailey both kind of played that role where, you know, they both scrapped out ugly sort of innings at strike rates of, you know, 50 or 60. Um, but they just managed to stay out there for long enough with Warner that he was, you know, given he was playing so well, they were able just to give him the support. And he was the one guy who could time it on that wicket. And what Head enabled uh, was Mitchell Marsh to come out at Canberra in the last five overs and go absolutely nuts, uh, yeah. including three sixes consecutively straight down the ground, which Jeff, made me reflect upon a moment in time for you and I <laughs> last year when Mitchell Marsh did something similar at Essex in a tour game in last year's Ashes, and he and he popped a ball into the roof of the cafe uh, across the road, which we, we took some interest in, and, and we're monitoring it through the course of the next four days of the match until we thought we'd go and steal it. Well, they just left it there. I mean, it, it smashed through the roof tiles, and then it was sitting there kind of, you know, encased like a, a beautiful little, I don't know, Ferrero Rocher in a... You know, in a chocolate box, and, and it was just because saying, "Well, come on, if, you, if anybody, anyone want this cricket ball, like just yeah. climb up here and get it." There's time if you're good enough. I remember Simon Wild from the Sunday Times watching you and thinking to myself, "If Jeff falls off the roof here, this is a pretty good story. <laughs> it's a pretty good Sunday yarn for him to ride up if, if, if Jeff goes and miss." But we've got photographic evidence. I think you've still got the ball, don't you, Simon? I've got the ball kicking around somewhere here yeah, in, in, in a drawer somewhere or other. But yeah, I mean, what's the headline? Australian idiot causes <laughs> harm to self and national reputation. Well, Mitchell Marsh caused harm to the New Zealand. And uh, bowling lineup like that segue. Three hundred. Well, of course, harm to me as well because he looked absolutely shocking early. He came <laughs> around. He was digging around. He was sort of eight off twenty. He'd been like nearly dropped a couple of times. I'm on Twitter going, "Geez, this guy's a terrible starter. Just shouldn't be out there in the last ten overs. You know, he needs to come in early. You know, just doesn't have the chops." And then of course he goes and makes seventy not out of forty balls. And and every like clever clogs on the internet is like, "Oh, you were wrong." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, good, like good of you to come along after you know he's already proved it otherwise. Like push- that's that's brave. You know, he managed to push a straight." to five for 378, which would have made the biggest chase in the history of this country had they been successful, the Kiwis. But I guess in modern 50-over cricket, the proliferation of scores of 350 and above, you don't immediately rule that out. Last no, year, India... No, they should have pissed it in. Well, well, India certainly should have yeah. last year when they when they were chasing 349. Oh. Well, it was earlier in January, Absolutely. wasn't it? They, they yeah, were two, it was this year. They, they were one for 277 with yeah. 12 overs to go and they managed to lose nine for 50-odd. So in theory, you, you don't immediately rule that out in, no. in modern cricket. Having said that, even when New Zealand were two for 177 after 30, they were still kind of shot because Martin Guptill went. That's what it comes yeah. down to. Guptill yeah. is such a important cog in, in, in making the going from big to gigantic, if you like. And yes. uh, when, when he uh, when he lost his way, that was a fantastic piece of captaincy from Steve Smith ordering Pat Cummins to bowl the cross seam. First ball gets the edge, caught behind. Smith looks a genius. Cummins looks a superstar. Guptill's on his way. It was the turning point in the whole match. Yeah, and I mean Guptill, like God, he's just such a frustrating player. He he. He kind of gets my teeth grinding more than almost any other batsman in world cricket because he's got such such ability, but the gulf between his his best and his worst is just enormous. And then in Melbourne again, I mean, Travis Head first ball, you know, absolute pie, and Guptill just slogs it straight to mid wicket in the circle, just pulls it limply away. I mean, Travis Head. He's not bowling dangerous stuff. It wasn't that difficult. And, and you know, the first couple of wickets are already gone. Latham's gone. Um, and, you know, Guptill was needed to, to be the guy to stick around. And, and the fact that he just doesn't deliver so often. Let, let's, I'm let's write go, him an angry letter. Yeah, well, let, let's go back to Travis Head. Dear and Martin. And I'll withstand the temptation to make a joke about teeth grinding and the Meredith um, armband you have on your wrist there at the moment. <laughs> uh, Travis Head um, at bowled his first five overs in, in Canberra for just 17 runs. This is important in the, in the Glenn Maxwell 
conversation as well. I mean, Maxwell was... Well, yeah, I was going to say. He's obviously, uh, there's, there's a much broader discussion about Maxwell going on, and we had a lot of it last week, and we won't repeat that here today. But needless to say... We've, we've had about 10 minutes on Glenn <laughs> Maxwell in every podcast so far this summer. And we're going to change it up not to it this week. I've got a few things to say about him, but we'll hold off on that. But, but Travis Head did bowl beautifully, and, and I think it was that he was going around the wicket and pinning the right-handers on the back foot. Yeah. He bowls a bit quicker than Maxwell through the air. And, well, that's the thing. And the fact that he can come out and take a couple of wickets like that, and, yeah. and he's batting as well as he does, he makes it very hard for Maxwell to get a road back into the side. Well, let's just briefly reference the fact that they must have known that Maxwell wasn't going to play in Canberra um, on Sunday. You'd think that when they went from Sydney to Canberra, they were fairly confident that Head would retain his spot, which to me, seemed, you know, they're resourceful and savvy enough to have sent him back to Shield Cricket at that yeah. point. So that disappointed me. They didn't, yeah. you know, they could have made that decision and, and said that, look, even if in the unlikely event, New Zealand do type the series at one apiece and Head fails there and they want to bring Maxwell back again. You know, they routinely bring players in and out of Shield fixtures these days um, per Australian requirements. They could have brought him back for Melbourne uh, yeah. and it wouldn't have been the end of the world either. So well, He could have uh, driven up. You know, well, it's Canberra. Yeah. Like, it's right there. It's not that hard. Well, yeah, and even they, even even if the Shield game you would have been scheduled to play was in Tasmania. Could, Tasmania and Melbourne's a 45-minute flight. They could have made it work if required. That's my right. point here is that yeah, they, yeah. They, they instead had him carrying the drinks for three one-day internationals and yeah. playing club cricket on Saturday, which seems a real miss and a real loss at this stage of the summer. Right, and sort of down at, you know, Fitzroy Doncaster doing the... Um, Apparently getting sledged when he walked in, so yeah. they're saying you're batting behind the keeper. Sorry, yeah. mate. Which I, which I admire, I should say, from the, from the opposition. I think that was from his teammates, actually. Oh, was it? <laughs> Even better. I mean, some fines Absolutely there. fitted up. Now, now, one more thing about the, the, uh, the certainly the, the Canberra one, the one day, uh, mm. less so the Melbourne, was Patrick Cummins uh, taking four for 41 and looking uh, tip-top, and there's been a big push following that performance that he uh, should be considered for selection for the Indian Test Series. There's a fascinating story mm-hmm. in today's Sydney Morning Herald by Chris Barrett, which references um, some board pressure um, to take uh, to take Cummins to, to India, suggesting that the board's um, opinion was uh, was canvassed after the Hobart debacle and, and some want to see him taken to India, whereas the, the consensus before this was that he'd be made ready to play against England in the Ashes next year. Now, this, to me, seems a bit amiss. I don't know whether... I mean, obviously, this is this is sources talking to the, mm-hmm. to the reporter, so, you, you know, it's no one on the record per se, but... Sure. Um, but, you'd, you'd but, think someone that, but someone the, said it. someone for the story to be written. Oh, absolutely. Not questioning the you veracity know. of the story for a second. It's just fascinating to me that yeah. board members... I mean, well, you know, if Darren Lehman and Pat Howard and, uh, and the selected, selected panel are asked to you know, give an opinion on the businesses that board members run, then maybe they can reverse, right. reverse engineer that. But it doesn't, that's not usual corporate governance, is it? No. I mean, what, what's the opinion of a board member worth when it comes to selection, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to a guy who's played one test match in six years? You know, what do they have to offer that, that the staff running the team don't know? Yeah, that, that's right. So it seems that Pat Howard is still in charge of this ultimately yeah. and, and held accountable for, for the decisions made at the high performance level. It seems like he's keen for him to be held off and play some first-class cricket. And you think about that, him playing a full Shield season, a full BBL season, and preparing himself at home for that Ashes series right. seems like overwhelmingly logical rather than yeah, being yeah. probably the third seamer going to India. It's unlikely he'd get into the side immediately anyway. And even if he did, it's, it's conditions which are going to be conducive to you know literally back-breaking work in, in his case with well, his exactly. stress fractures. I mean, when you look at you know something like... Calcutta 2001, you mm. know, when, when a side's just out in the field for the best part of three days, bowling and bowling and bowling, you, you can't afford to have sort of fragile bowlers out there or, or bowlers you don't have confidence in. Now, how much first-class cricket has he played? I, I, I'm not sure if he's played another game since the England tour last year. Well, he's, so he's, played, means, he's, played, he's not played a Sheffield Shield game since before he went into 
the test side. So yeah. that, that gives you a sense of how long he's been out of... Yeah, yeah and he played a couple so of first-class games So when he played England. that tour match in England, I think that was his seventh first-class match in his yeah, life. that's right. And, and, in his and, life. And, and I think that's... I mean, no, it's not his fault. It's not, no, you know... And, and, and that shouldn't preclude him from test selection in the right so circumstances. So how do you know he's but, good enough to play test cricket? You know. Well, I think we can look on the sample size available. It's pretty clear that when he's playing for Australia soon in Test cricket, it's going to be bloody exciting, and I can't wait for that to occur, especially yep. alongside Pattinson, Hazelwood, and Stark. That's yep. potentially. I mean, that, that could be one of the great stories in, in for right. the decade in Australian cricket with those four lining up in the same Test eleven. But you've got to do it in in circumstances that are going to be um, conducive to success and, and not to risking him to further injury as well. And I think that India discussion has got to be framed up around that. Well, exactly, and I think it's it's also standard out to me that say we've got Pakistan here they've got Muhammad Amir back after five years banned now when he came back all these people were saying you know can he possibly be good enough he's been out of the game for so long you know can he come back I mean he's come back pretty strong but uh, I mean Pat Cummins has effectively had the same, the same regime yeah. they were the same age but they were both effectively out for five years I mean Pat Cummins barely played he had a, yeah. a couple of little attempted abortive comebacks and would get injured again and off he'd go effectively he's had the same lack of preparation but you don't hear the same questions about um, you know how could he possibly possibly be anywhere in the frame to play cricket well. Um, but then I guess Army has laid the template for the, the fact that it can happen if you're good enough, if you have the talent, you can come back. Cummins took the final wicket at Melbourne to bowl out New Zealand uh, for 147. They were chasing uh, Australia's 260-odd from memory. I haven't got it in front of me. That's a bit loose on my part. But anyway, uh, New Zealand <laughs> lost 10 for 73 after being none for, none for 74. And yeah, they made 268. 268, they needed us right. And, and it meant a 117-run victory for Australia and a 3-0 series sweep. It didn't feel like it was the, you know, it was a week of cricket it was it was a worthwhile exercise in uh, in in stopping the bloodletting i think we described it last yep. week and, and a, a bit of a circuit breaker on australia's ordinary summer to date but yep. uh, but ultimately that that's what what that's what it was really it wasn't a lot more than that i don't think we're going to be talking about this limited over series in 10 years time no but if it had been a great series we would have been and i think that's the yep. fickleness of as soon as you have a, a slightly rubbish match people say oh 50 over cricket sucks no one likes it no one wants to come 20,000 people still showed up to the mcg i mean it looks empty because it's the mcg but it's not a shabby crowd if you'd had you know, 20,000 at uh, Edgebaston or something, it would have been a, a rollicking fun fest and everyone would have had a ball. So uh, I think just so often it comes down to the quality of the contest. And I'll just reference two players before we move off and talk about the Women's Big Bash League. First of all, Mitchell Stark, who was phenomenal in that middle session at Melbourne, hit pads, hit stumps, back to his absolute best, yep. good timing ahead of the Test Series. You know that I like to keep a, an eye on some running stupid superfluous stats. I do. He's just gone above 50% for his career for wickets taken bold and LBW. More than wow. half of his wickets hit the stumps or hit the pads. Especially in the modern game, that, that's crazy. We 50.8%. Some batsmen who have these crazy records where they've been dismissed like five times in a whole career bold, if you like. Right. And Stark's frequency is really something else. And the other one with an incredible strike rate is David Warner. We haven't really dealt with him in great detail. The man of the match in both Canberra and Melbourne, and naturally enough, the man of the series after making 156 and batting the entirety of the 50 overs at Melbourne. After a you know a tough start, as we mentioned before, yeah. losing, losing his opener, Aaron Finch, who had a shocker, and Steve Smith in the first couple of overs. And how annoyed would he be getting run out off the last ball and hitting. Like <laughs> That's you, a true red, you know, you had red ink everywhere. You know, I know. Everywhere. I would have been such a nice average booster. It's like, oh, I carried your bat. No one's done that. I think Damien Martin did it once, batted through a 50-over innings right. and undismissed for, from, from the opening position. No one's... I think he's the only one to do it. You okay. know, Warner would have been up there with him. And it was just like this lazy, like Trent Bolt just 
trots out, grabs the ball in the left hand, spins around and ridiculously throws down the stumps. And Warner had lost the ball. He, so he was doing like, oh, do I run? I'm like, of course you run. It's the last ball. Like, just run. Don't wait and see where it went. Just go. But he hesitated and, and that got him run out. So I'm devastated for his average. But it was still his seventh 100, uh, seventh century rather, in the calendar year, which yeah. means only Sachin Tendulkar has done better in one year in 1998. It's, it's an incredible turnaround from someone who, before the year started, had four one-day international centuries. He said himself it was his worst Seven. format. And he's, hit, he's now on 11. Yeah. It's just a, a wonderful record and, and one that uh, he continues to go from strength to strength. We said briefly last week, this wasn't um, David Warner in incarnation that we first got to know him in no. 2008, 2009. These were some, I mean, he's gone at over 100 strike rate in both of those hundreds, but they weren't those kind of innings, were they? No. I mean, particularly watching it live was interesting in that really the first 40 overs he didn't try. He, he tried very, very few big shots. You know, there were a couple of balls that were right in this spot that he went for, but aside from that... He was like, look, I just need to keep batting through. This is a struggle. Like He knew it was a struggle. He could see the other guys struggling. And he was like, look, I just need to stay here. And he probably only opened up around the 45th over. That's when he started playing a few bigger shots. And he got lucky a couple of times. Balls that landed short of long on or that just cleared the field. Um, you know, he almost got dropped once sort of out at, uh, at, at deep backward square, but that was a very tough catch. Henry Nichols was sprinting around from deep mid-wicket and made about 40 metres and didn't quite get there. But he really wasn't playing dangerous strokes, strokes that were likely to get him dismissed until right towards the end. And then he got a bit of luck for those last five overs and, and saw it through the last ball. But in terms of composure, in terms of calm, it was exactly the kind of thing you wouldn't have expected David Warner to be able to play five years ago. Yeah, Seven it, centuries. It reminded me of the 100 he made uh, in, 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 uh, in Candy in Sri Lanka where he really struggled for the first 40 or 50 runs yep. in, a, in a pretty significant chase. So chasing down about 240, 250 that day, if memory serves me correctly. And yep. he managed to just survive when it was tough and then prosper later after he um, got through the challenging period. And I think that's something that's new to David Warner's game. I think there was a time where he was on or he was off. And now, right. it's, now he has a, finds a way of, of persevering when it's challenging and prospering after, the, you know, after he naturally gets his eye after a significant amount of time at the crease. And it's worth noting, if you're a fan of the stats stuff, his seven centuries came from, I think, 23 innings. Um, Ganguly made seven from 32 innings in, in 2000, yep. and Tendulkar made nine from 33 innings. So on the kind of um, you know strike rate, if, if Warner had played a few more games, he's made those hundreds in, in uh, Sri Lanka, he's made them in South Africa, Australia, all around the world, and he's also got this year a, a 93 and a 98 yep. dismissed. So had he been able to convert those couple, you know, Nine from 23 knocks. Absolutely ridiculous. Last thing I want to get from you on David Warner, I want to get a hot take on his new century celebration, which is um, holding the, the handle of the bat to his mm-hmm. mouth and, and preaching. Uh, what, what do we think about the Reverend? Oh, I didn't notice that. I was just so preoccupied. Oh, man, the, how uh, did you not see this? This is right in your hitting zone. Good, good, great. Well, I like the sound of it. It's I mean, I'm really strong. It. I'm a big fan. I, I like it a lot more than his commercial celebration. God yep. knows how much he gets paid. It's time he leaps in the air for, for, the, for the car brand that, uh, that sponsor the Australian Cricket Summer or whatever it is. Right. But, um, but this, is a, uh, this, is a, this, is, this is good. I like it's, it. It's good. It's kind of Western. You know, it's sort of Westworld style. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a bit of like the old, the old revenant, you know, the old preachers. Um, I well, mean, he said it's directly because of that because he's obviously yeah. getting called the Reverend now yep. for the, the calm and composure that he shows off the field as well as on it these days. Yep. Well, you know, Preacher, I think, is about to come back as well. The, uh, oh, the, there you go. the show based on the anime. So he's, I mean, put Jason Gillespie's horse riding celebration together with David Warner's preaching celebration. Then you just need someone to do like a year old timey bartender celebration where they slide a shot of whiskey down the bar. And then, you know, we could have Deadwood. It'd be great. That's, I think that's, that's born for Nathan Lyon. <laughs> to really, <laughs> okay. really build that. we've got to get 100 show. out of him. <laughs> Maybe. He made, he made 61 in the shield this week, so... 
Don't count it out. We'll come back to that later. We'll be back in a sec with the Women's Big Bash League. This is the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. ABC Grandstand. You're back with the final word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We're bringing Brittany Carter in here now from ABC Grandstand, our wonderful producer and also Cricket Australia's commentator during the weekend. Did you enjoy that, Brittany? Oh, it was fantastic. Got to do that with Kristen Beams and Trent Copeland. So uh, two great humans and, yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity. And you did a bloody good job too, having listened to the games you were doing there on North Sydney Oval number two. So there were six games to open the tournament and it worked extremely well. Four of them were on Channel 10. Um, we were told uh, through Cricket Australia yesterday that they averaged... Um, 379,000 viewers for the Stars versus Thunder game, which was on primetime Saturday night. That included a peak of 637,000 people watching at home with an average in that second dig of 432,000. So they say that's a 67% increase. I'm not quite sure what they're measuring that on, but either way, Jeff, that's, I mean, uh, to use the old cliche, the proof of the pudding was in the eating there. It worked. They wanted to put games on TV. They wanted people to watch and people did. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not really good with percentages either. You know, it takes me a long time to work them out. I have to sit there with a the calculator <laughs> going, hang on, you divide something by something. What's it? Yeah, but 637,000 is a lot of people. I can tell you that. Uh, if you invited them all over, it would be hard. If you were trying to carry cheese cubes around to that many people, you'd be cutting a lot of laps. So on that measure, on the, uh, on the cheese cube measure, which is my preferred... I'll give you another measure. I'll give it to you, Brittany. Today's Age newspaper in Melbourne, the back of it had a massive photo of Sophie Molyneux questioning whether she's the next Australian um, star all-rounder. And on the inside of the paper, there were three stories. Uh, and now that, that's, that's new, isn't it? Like last summer, mm-hmm. um, some newspapers, and including the Age, to be fair to them, did cover this. But yep. this, this is the most significant amount of coverage we've seen for, for a women's domestic game so far, Brittany, isn't it? Completely. And even in Sydney, we aren't seeing that coverage on our papers here. So I'm thrilled to hear that she's on the back page there. Very deserved. Um, and to have all of them streamed now too we've been talking about how it's now on a world stage people from all over the world can tune in and especially having those Indian players in now people in India are crazy about cricket so to have them watching along too is is just fantastic you better believe we're going to talk about the Indian players one in particular when we get to the Thunder Stars game Uh, more than 6,000 people showed up too which I just note for the record that's about on par with what they got with the Kia Super League um, during the winter in England. They got about a 1,000 a game on average throughout. So that'll um, swell when doubleheaders start uh, later in the tournament as well. But I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Six, it was a pretty good carnival atmosphere. Well, also there. for Sydney, which isn't notorious for great crowds at events. True. I mean, that's not much short of a you know a lot of the rugby league crowds through the winter. Um, Excellent you know, point. A lot, a lot of certain teams that are not the most popular you know, might get in the range of 8,000-odd. Probably louder than some there. of the NRL crowds too, to be honest. <laughs> You're getting stuck in super. You're an NRL person. I can see Jeff and I are very happy to get stuck into the rugby league crowds uh, being two Melbourne AFL people, but oh, you're normally a defender so of this. You're going to get so mad now. We're going to get so many angry Tweet emails. at Jeff Lemon Sport and tweet at Collins Adam if you want to sledges about Melbourne Sydney stuff. Anyway, let's get into the actual cricket per se. This, so this is like Perth people with the time zones. You know, yeah. As soon as you say it's this time, Australian time, they're like, excuse me, there, there is more than one time. Yeah, I know. There is more than one time zone. It's annoying. We're still here in the West. We're still here. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, the game, the first game was involving this side from out West. It was the Perth Scorchers against the Hobart Hurricanes. Brittany was calling this game. It was what over time on, zone were they on? Uh, they would have been on, uh, it was at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, if you must know. Good. Um, Perth batted first. 7 a.m. in Perth. Yeah, well, well put. Yeah, well put. That's good breakfast game. Yeah. One well, for the cornflakes. That must be pretty good fun, actually, getting up yeah. and chucking on the telly at 7 a.m. watching the cricket. It's kind yeah, of a perfect definitely, time zone. definitely enjoyed it with, say, South Africa tours in the past and so on. You can get up and, you know, watch the last don't know session. What, don't know what you're doing. South Africa tours started the about... Oh, maybe start about half past eight at night. Yeah, no, but some, like if it's a day nighter, like a one day game. Oh yeah, yeah. A day nighter from the Caribbean, you might you might be lucky enough to get the. No, the test, back end test night. match from the Caribbean will go through to eight thirty in the morning. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know I've been awake for a lot of them. <laughs> um, and yeah, day nighters from South Africa get there, I think. 
Well, let's move on from time zone chat. It's riveting. It must be at home listening to it. So the first watch is batter first. They made 619 in their 20 overs. And the Hobart Hurricanes hold it down. The Hobart no-stars as well, with no Southern Stars players in the side. Uh, five for 120, they made it with an over to spare. It was a classic Hurricanes performance, Brittany. They won the toss and bowled. They held it tight and they found a way to scrap their way home. Very impressive performance from the Kane train. Yeah, Hayley Matthews a big factor in that. Obviously, a lot of confidence from the World T20 Cup and um, coming back off last year's WBBL season. But definitely a similar style in batting, too, to our opening partner for the Windies, Staff Taylor. And showing a lot more composure this year and um, confidence there. But also bowling. Like, I mean, you know, she hasn't done a whole lot of bowling, Hayley Matthews. And no, she didn't take any wickets was... last season. So to have yeah. her come out and open the bowling was uh, a big statement from them, too. Yeah, they removed the three big guns uh, from the Scorchers side pretty early. Australian openers, uh, Villani and Bolton, were gone for three and 19, respectively. Susie Bates, a New Zealand skipper, was out for 14. So they were four for 52 uh, in the 13th over. They were effectively saved by Catherine Brunt, who's meant to be England's opening fast bowler, but she's increasingly, as her career matures, is, is just as vital with the bat. Yeah, I mean, she's essentially an all-rounder now, and she's such a power hitter. You know, we saw her play a few pretty good knocks in England in 2015 in that Ashes series there, and then brought that confidence out. And, and I think it really was that Ashes series was the turning point because before that she'd been a sort of number eight who might slog eight or ten, but she'd very rarely even made double figures. Um, and then she sort of found her range, found her confidence and is a player who just comes out and attacks. And sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but 41 from 24, not a shabby effort. I, I really enjoyed Brittany uh, Georgia Redmayne uh, making 24 on her Hurricanes debut coming over from New South Wales Grey Cricket. You made that call last week. She opened up with Hayley Matthews who made 48 in 38 balls and that was the foundation to get there easy. But just tell us a bit more about that Georgia Redmayne story. So coming out of club cricket and picked up by Hobart. Yeah, and a very clean hitter too. Um, just caught off a ball that sort of fell short of the boundary, unfortunately. But she'll be very happy with her start. And it's good to see her come out confident. You know, it must be a huge thing to move states and then start off with a whole new bunch of teammates you've never even played with before. So great to see how she's starting out there. And I think she'll start at the top of the order in many of their games. Yeah, so the foundation now is laid for the Hobart Hurricanes have won their first game and the Scorchers once again disappointing. They both played later in the weekend with the results reversed. We'll come to that later. The next game was the first televised game. Adelaide Strikers played the Melbourne Renegades. The Strikers mm. were all out for 116 and the Renegades were all out for 102. So it was a bit of a stinker, if I'm being honest, um, compared to um, what we would have liked to have started the tournament on telly. It looked particularly bad early on when uh, when Adelaide were reduced to uh, four for 21. Molly Strano, Jeff, one of our favourites on the show, uh, one of our favourites full stop in Australian cricket. She um, took two wickets and, and affected one run out in the space of three overs. And she's a cricketer who, who we, we have to imagine will be playing for Australia sooner rather than later. Molly Strainer. Uh, she goes in well with Sophie Molyneux, the, the teammate. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Molyneux is like that brand of uh, of like kitchen implement that, that juliennes vegetables. <laughs> so I was thinking of the strainer and the Molyneux next to each other. You know, there's a great symbiosis there. Maybe some sort of Pixar film with talking kitchen equipment. Yeah, well, for all that, she could also turn the ball a long way. She picked up... Well, Tammy. yeah, I mean, there's cricket as well, but let's, well, let's, let's keep our eyes on the bigger issues here. <laughs> well, Tammy Beaumont, who's been doing it with these for England, uh, was, was trapped league before by Molly. And it was uh, Lottie, Charlotte Edwards' run out uh, for about the 100th time this this year it feels like she keeps getting run out um, also by Molly uh, so she had a fantastic start uh, but Sophie Devine um, was able to restore some respectability to the innings Brittany and again with her hard hitting um, she's always uh, going to be uh, someone who can change a game quickly she hits the ball so bloody far yeah and she really changed uh, turned it around for them but some sharp fielding was I think the big key there 
And uh, Megan Shute dismissing uh, both of the Renegades openers was a huge start. I mean, after that terrible collapse in the batting order. Yeah, they're on. only defending. They're only defending 116, as you say. Megan Shute, uh, the Australian opening bowler, picked up the openers um, after. Uh, well, yeah, early on, and, and that Sophie Molyneux, who Jeff mentioned before, was looking fantastic out there for 37 not out. But there was no one to stick around with her. There were four runouts in the second innings, which says a bit about how. Um, how, uh, how how well they feel, but also the indecision. Watching the replay back last night, um, they were all runouts that should have been avoided there by the uh, Renegades women, uh, who who basically capitulated. They were all out for 102 with five balls to go, so they wouldn't have made the runs anyway. Uh, Amanda Wellington one for 11, hard to get away as always. A couple of wickets to Megan shoot. Um, it was a very impressive defence, and the two sides that came seventh and eighth respectively last year both would have been happy to have got on the board in the first game. I think especially um, the strikers who who have came into this tournament with a, a fair degree of expectation. Yeah, I mean such good squad, but I mean, that's why Amanda Wellington's so highly rated to give away 11 runs in four overs in a T20 is absolutely absurd. Yeah, and, and especially, I don't think she considered a run for her first nine balls or something, so she can influence a game with her huge ripped leg spinners. Uh, the third game, which was the clear standout for me across the weekend, was the Melbourne Stars and the Sydney Thunder. Um, this was a shootout, the Stars making uh, eight for 147, uh, and the Thunder coming awfully close to reaching that in the last over, four for 141, so winning by six runs. Um, in twilight, to begin with, the Stars were none for 79 in the ninth over. Emma Inglis was uh, the more dominant of the pair with Meg Lanning. It's usually the reverse of that until she was the first to go reverse sweeping. Um, but Meg uh, made 33. She was out shortly thereafter. Nicola Carey bowled her. Now one of our favourites last year, Nicola Carey. She was a bit all over the shop but when she's on when she's on song yeah. she's very hard to get away. Knocked over three stars batsmen all bowled. Yeah and she's about four foot two so the, you know, the ball's coming from about the sort of umpire's waistband um, as, as she gets over to deliver but comes down with a, a decent bit of pace and can bat as well. So And she'd actually uh, have had um, better figures because there were a few balls I think in the last over or so that she bowled that were clean bowled uh, results, but they didn't count obviously because there were no balls. So she was well, unhappy with that. Well, yeah, she actually cost them the game. I said a bit ro- bit ropey. I mean, the, the wicket she took with the no ball, um, which uh, brought upon a free hit. I mean, it, it could be said if you look at the final analysis that she yeah, it was a, a vexed result for her because she took the wickets and got out crucial players, but also yeah. um, a wicket with a no ball is almost unforgivable in this format of the game. Yeah, I think really big for the stars that uh, Inglis made runs and Katie Mack made runs. Mm. They were a couple who just consistently underperformed last year, really struggled to you know get past single figures through a lot of those games where there was just too much on Lanning. So if that sort of second tier of, uh, of the batting group can step up for the stars, that's going to be a huge difference for them. And I actually yeah. had to leave just before Harman Preet got into good form, but I can tell you now, I didn't see the six that she hit over cover, so the standout for me was Emma Inglis hitting the ball over the top of the O'Reilly stand. It literally bounced off the top and landed on the road outside the stadium, so that was huge. <laughs> it was a mighty wallop. There was some huge hits this weekend, the longest of which was Deandra Dotton's, which we'll come to, but you talk about, that's the perfect venue, just a segue here, the perfect venue for women's cricket really because the balls to, it's only 50 meter boundary so it's not uh, they're, they're not huge boundaries in any form of the game but it does mean you can have quite impressive spectacles with uh, with the you know often in games we're used to watching with women's cricket it's, it's roped in yep. um, from 80 meter boundaries I think um, North Sydney Oval's a much a much better optics a much better optical should I say uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, response because yep. you can actually hit the ball out of the ground right and that's what Herman Preco was doing in that chase with twice. The, with the, the Thunder trying to chase them down. She's, she's just about my favourite women's cricketer. Oh, she's, she's so versatile. Her, her bowling is absurd and fascinating, these kind of strange kind of uh, mixed bag, mixed lollies kind of spinners. That she, Around the wicket with the hat on? Yeah, she yeah. lobs out the back of the hand and no, no one has any idea which way they're turning, but sometimes they rip. Um, but, gee, she's good with the bat. I mean, 
We saw her last summer. We talked about this one uh, a little last week where she made 46 not out of 31 balls, I think, chasing 140 at, at Adelaide Oval. Yep. And that was the biggest run chase India had ever mowed down, and she just did it so coolly, you know. Um, and I love it when they come out in their hat because it's sort of such a grade cricket thing to do. You know, I'm not scared of you. I'm not going to wear a helmet. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, was... yeah there's, there's definitely a kind of middle finger up at that point, little Beyonce throw hands high kind of, kind of deal. <laughs> you know, well, what are you going to do? What's your change up? You know, what's your fastball? Uh, they, they, they certainly had a good base to come from with um, Stefani Taylor uh, batting alongside Rachel Haynes. They put it on 50, so they should have had that chase within them. It just didn't quite come together. Harman Preet uh, had to bat down the list along with Naomi Stallenberg. They batted extremely well together, but it was all too late really, wasn't it? Not to say that Harman Preet didn't look super mm. impressive um, in her innings. The, the, the highlight, of course, was uh, that off the back leg, inside out, over the top of extra cover, one bounce out of the stadium. You don't see that very often. And the response uh, uh, from the bowler, uh, Triscari just looked at her and started shaking her head like, what was that? That is just <laughs> offensive <laughs> behaviour from the Indian import. <laughs> Uh, Stallenberg finished with 24, not out. They came pretty close. They came within six runs, but that flatters yeah. them somewhat because 15 of the runs came in the last over. Yeah, needing 22 off the last, um, you know, very, very big ask. But to get 15, I mean, it shows you what they will be able to do with, with her down the order, you know, um, through the rest of this season. Yeah, that's six. Uh, one of our colleagues from Whiteline Wireless, Daniel Paproth, said on Twitter, you could batter the next for your whole life and not wish to play a shot like that Harman Preet shot over extra cover. You, you know, you don't see that very often in men's or women's modern cricket, the ability to play with such fluency through extra cover and out of the ground. So, so we'd be sure to watch for her in the next televised game for the Sydney Thunder. The next day on Sunday, we started back over on oval number two. It was the Strikers and the Renegades. The Strikers were, were again batting first. They were six for 128. But the Renegades were able to turn the tables on this occasion in the rematch, principally due to Sophie Molyneux, who we mentioned before, the spinner who can also bat just as well. She took the first four wickets, four for 15, and she knocked over... Bridget Patterson hitting across the line. She had a catch given back to her by Alex Price and picking up Tammy Beaumont when she holed out. So uh, early on, the strikers were three for 31 and they never really recovered. Sarah Coit was also bold slogging. So the first four wickets going to Molyneux uh, before Lottie Edwards sort of steered them out of trouble somewhat, making 31 in the, in the middle overs before she was run out by Molyneux. So continuing the theme there. And predictably, uh, Sophie Devine, who made 41 not out of 27 balls to uh, retain the theme from the previous day as well. But they got to 6-100. And, 28, and Brittany, you were down, down there at that game. It was a, a wonderful performance of uh, left-arm orthodox spin from Sophie Molyneux. Yeah, she was outstanding. And honestly, I, I just don't think you can top that performance like in the rest of the competition. Uh, Rachel Priest was great too, to go for a duck and then come out and make 44 to show your side how to keep your head up and perform next chance you get, especially as the captain. I thought that was really impressive. And Harris looked good, um, still went for a smaller total, but uh, she looked great at the top of the order. I think one of the highlights of this game was actually seeing all of the English players sort of come out and try and play their usual reverse sweep and ramp shots because... That's one of the great things about the Big Bash is we see such diverse um, skill. Yeah, principally Danny White, who made 34, as Molyneux made 28, not out of 18 balls towards the end. They needed 41 uh, in 40 balls when they came to the crease. After losing those early wickets, Grace Harris out early, stumps by Nitschke, who's 40 years old, you know, Nitschke. I, I didn't realise just how old she is. Oh, yeah, she's, she's been around the Australian setup for a, a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well before that, and one of those players who sort of went, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give, the, give the Big Bash a roll. Another great thing about the competition is that people can come out of retirement or keep going at an older age. Sure, sure enough, that's uh, right. Old age is no concern if your name is Nitschke. That's, that's <laughs> they ended up doing it with uh, three balls to spare. It was a great performance uh, from the Renegades to bounce back. So Sophie Molyneux, who got her shooting stars, or Australia A debut over the winter yep. in Sri Lanka, made 69 in one of those fixtures. 
She's done it with the ball and the bat this weekend. She is another one who can't be far away from Australian call-up. Well, I'm just excited to see the Renegades actually win a game early and you know maybe they can get a bit of a roll on because that first match they played was so reminiscent of all their troubles last mm. year um, and just how disappointing some of their underperformance was last year, especially batting, especially chasing. So you know for them to actually be able to put together a competent chase, do it only three wickets down, um, you know it's it's very encouraging for the season ahead. We saw last year uh, the trouble teams getting in the hole early and, and, and losing uh, you know, losing multiple games in a hurry and finding it hard to fight back. The Perth Scorchers would have been cognizant of that coming into their second match of the weekend. It was the third televised game against the Hurricanes, but they showed up this time. Uh, their, their batting lineup counting for the Hobart Hurricanes. They made four for 142 in their 20 overs. Um, their guns fired, basically. Susie Bates made 48. Elise Filani, 54. She smashed them. Um, Catherine Brunt was elevated to number three. She made 17 in, in, in a hurry towards the end with a few overs to go. Um, really, that, the only bowler that went for less than a runner ball was Hayley Matthews when she took two for 17 with the ball for the Hurricanes. But it was an excellent performance, especially Elise Filani, Jeff, who is a player who does come under a fair bit of scrutiny, very capable of making significant innings for her country and her state and her franchise, or her 2020 side in this case, but um, hasn't always been known for her consistency. And being able to put together a match-winning performance early in the tournament will do her a lot of good. Yeah, I mean, but, but it is all about consistency for her. It's about backing up. She's a sort of uh, hot and cold and cold and cold and cold and hot kind of player. Um, she'll play, you know, one great innings in 10, but she's very rarely turned it on for the national side with the bat. Um, and they've been, you know, they were sort of juggling her around a bit in the one day as she was in the side, but coming in down the order Made wasn't, her debut wasn't as a opening. Bowler as a result. Yeah, and, and one of the games she bowled was at eight or nine overs and, and, and ended up bowling the last over to, to defend the total. Um, so... I, I get the feeling that it's like the national setup still doesn't know what to do with her. Like, what's her value to them as a player? They think she's too good to leave out, but but she hasn't really delivered consistently at that level. So, you know, whether whether she can do that at this later stage of her career, I don't know. But uh, I'm not sure whether she's she's got time. I think she's only about 27 or 28. Memory serves. So yeah, but got... I mean, she's been around the national setup for years, sure. years and years and years. But um, does but does play enough match winning role? I think she's a sort of play where I think you're right. In, it is a bit. Hit, miss, miss, hit, 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 miss, miss. You know, it's all over the shop. But I think you can get away with that with a match winner because she can turn it on and make a lot of runs in a hurry. Certainly mm. did in the World T20 on a couple of important occasions back yep. in back in March as well. But in the in the response, uh, they were able to reduce Hobart to three for 31 in the sixth over, and it was essentially game over at that point. Bates um, got rid of Redmayne. Brunt got rid of Matthews. Um, and then Brunt got rid of her English skipper, um, uh, Heather Knight, caught at mid-wicket. So they would, she would have been pretty happy with that. I'm tipping the game more or less petered out after that. Veronica Pike had a dip towards the end, making 27 not out of 15 balls. But the bulk of that was at the end when it was finished. Uh, and Brittany, um, two, two wickets to, to bet Grundy with her left arm spin. That's pretty important, being Anya Shrubsole's replacement, that she can uh, influence this tournament early, the England spinner. Yeah, because Shrubsole's currently injured too, so you'd want to come out and make a strong statement in order to try and keep your spot in the side. And I'm impressed by Heather Graham, uh, her all-round skills. So she battled in the top six for the bulk of the WBBL last year and didn't really fire a shot, but she took a, took a wicket a game. Uh, and she's also a member of that shooting star squad at the moment, having played in Sri Lanka over the winter and, and performed quite well there with ball and bat. So I don't think she's far away from... Uh, an Australian call-up either. She's, I think she's 20 years old now and, and, and feels like she's got uh, the talent, a couple of wickets for her here uh, in this defence of 142. So a pretty good performance from the Scorchers to get on the board and the Hurricanes are reduced to one and one. So both sides come out of this weekend with a win and a loss. And the final game of the weekend and the round 
were the two sides who hadn't played at all so far. That were the Sydney Sixers and the Brisbane Heat on oval number one. It was on TV. It was another cracker. Um, again, they'll be very, very happy with. And it was the Brisbane Heat coming up on top, chasing down 138, principally due to DeAndre Dotton, who put on a clinic um, late in the day. But early on, it was Elise Perry and... And, and Alyssa Healy, who put on 74 in the first 10 overs. They um, did all they could with the bat. Um, Healy hit three big sixes, including uh, hitting Jess Jonathan straight down the ground for a, a big one over long off, and that looked pretty good. Sarah McGlashan did what she always does. Brittany, 27 in 16 balls, including a big six off Holly Furling over midwicket. Yeah, and a big wow for the crowd for that one too. It actually looks like nobody was going to get a look in with Healy and Perry at the crease because they did look so strong at the get-go. But for me, the Sixers, what was key in their loss was the fielding. So I think it was Emily Lee's fielding sort of in front of where I was sitting. And um, she was fielding the boundary and there was one ball that was really honestly would have been a good pickup and easily to do. And it just went straight past her when she dived for it and it went for four too. So <laughs> Marianne Cat was not happy with that. And that just reminded me of their final. One of the big things that they lost yeah. um, the final against the Thunder was because of their fielding at the death. So... I really think they're going to have to pick it up if they're going to be contenders for the rest of the competition. And it wouldn't have been helped, Jeff, by the fact that they had to uh, be in the field when Jandra Dotton went nuts. So actually, that game, I mean, really, you look at it on paper, they're 4 for 38, chasing 138, nearly at the halfway mark. They're stuffed there, really, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, you're out. They, you're they, completely they, out of They need 112 overs, and, and, yep. it's, uh, and, and um, joining... Um, uh, joining uh, Jess Jonathan was Deandra Dotton, and they, yeah, the, the job ahead of them was enormous, and especially in the women's game, like, they don't go at ten and over regularly. It's, you know, there are you, you do acknowledge that scoring rates in, in women's T Twenty yep. cricket aren't as high, so that, that, that there is are a, there are a handful of players who can do it, and 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 most can't. And, and Dotton is one, but she also hasn't been in great nick uh, really the last couple of years. To be honest, her big bash last year was pretty mm. unconvincing; didn't make many runs. Her World T Twenty was, you know, she made a few in the final. Um, but but didn't really dominate for for a player who's had a lot of hype and who who started her career with just some ridiculous performances. Um, she really has dropped off for quite a while. So if this means that she's going to be a real force in this version of the WBBL this year, you know she can turn this on a couple more times. That's just going to be so valuable for, for promotion and excitement and interest. Yeah, and they really needed that too. It wasn't a case of her coming out and playing a role when the, when the game was already won. Uh, Beth Mooney she really did rescue knocked them, over didn't in the, she? She did. Well, Beth Mooney knocked over in the first over. Smitri Mandana, not long thereafter, caught behind. Uh, Delissa Kimmins, the skipper, went for 23. So a lot of pressure on Jonathan uh, and Dotton, and Dotton ended up finishing with an unbeaten 60 or 44 balls. The highlight, Brittany, was that enormous six you hit out of the ground, <laughs> the longest six of the weekend, 80 metres off Elise Perry, no, no less. There were so many sixes here. I was pretty much at North Sydney Oval all weekend and it's sort of all a big blur in my head but I remember the big sixes so I think that's <laughs> great for the women's game to prove on TV too that we can do that and that's just as impressive so I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it was some really good classic T20 batting there and hauling down that total they won with a couple of balls to spare to get themselves on the board as well. That means that in terms of the ladder after the first weekend, the four teams that played two games, so the Scorchers, the Renegades, the Hurricanes and the Strikers, they're all one and one. And the Stars and Heat are one and zero, so they've won one game and lost no games. And the Thunder and the Sixers are on the reverse of that. They've lost their one game. Looking forward to next week. There's ten games uh, between now and when we ne next record early next week. Four of them are double headers, so they're playing them over two days at Penrith, Bendigo, Cranbourne and the Wacker. And it starts uh, in the next couple of days with rematches as well. So it's not a bad way of doing it, I think. So sort of having these, um, Jeff, where you, you play, you, pl you have to play twice because everyone plays each other yep. twice, but knocking it over in the space of a few days. If that, I like that idea that you kind of have a chance to redeem yourself. And, you, you know, it's like a, a bit of a series like you might imagine in baseball or in basketball. Right. And, and I mean, there's, there is that opportunity 
opportunity, and it can also be a massive opportunity lost, you know, if you let it slip and, and lose a couple of games on the trot to a, a team that you should beat. So it, it's quite high-stakes stuff, but at least they're not playing twice in a day this year. I think yeah, one of the not... great things about those fixtures, too, is a lot of them are country grounds, um, and the atmosphere is just so much better than when you play at a huge stadium with everyone dispersed, sitting out in different spots. No, you're not wrong. And that starts tonight at Dremoyne with the Sixers hosting the Heats. That's a rematch of the game that was played yesterday afternoon. Tomorrow morning, we're out at Albury uh, for the Stars and the Thunder. Their rematch. So, again, that's that first major rural fixture, and they're looking forward to that. Um, jumping forward to Friday, the Thunders and the Strikers play in Penrith. On Saturday, it's the Heat and the Scorchers at the Wacker. The Stars and the Sixers at Cranbourne in southeastern Melbourne, at my part of the world. Um, the Thunder and the Strikers rematch at Penrith, and the Renegades play the Hurricanes at Bendigo. Then on the Sunday, you flip it around. The Stars and the Sixers rematch at Cranbourne. Hurricanes and Renegades are again playing at Bendigo, and the Scorchers and the Heat finish the weekend at the Wacker. So we've got 10 games all told. And I think, Jeff, all, all said... Um, we can be extremely happy about the first weekend of WBBL number two. People showed up, went fantastically well on TV. Two of the games on TV were crackers, and I think really we've um, you know the base is there for what can be a season that's even more successful than WBBL number one. Yeah, and most importantly for me that the, a few of the really important players have inserted themselves early. You know, um, Molyneux in there, Sophie Devine in there, Deandra Dotton in there, um, really coming in and showing what they can do. This is the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, ABC Grandstand. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. We've gone from the men's to the women, back to the men again with the Test match starting in Brisbane on Thursday. Jeff, Australia, Pakistan. The Pakistanis had their tour game uh, over the weekend, late last week, I should say, in Cairns against the CA11. They weren't that convincing with the bat, especially, but. With the ball, they showed why they're going to be a huge threat to this Australian side in a, a position of some vulnerability in the experienced lineup against some of the best fast bowling in the world. Yeah, and I mean, day-night conditions, I think, was massive in that everybody struggled with the bat, but mm. the Pakistanis were able to sort of just cobble enough together batting-wise and then really turn it on bowling. Mohamed Amir, three for three in his opening spell and uh, and had the Caxi kids three for four overnight. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, as in four wickets down for three runs um, I, I, did, I did feel sorry for the, for the Caxi. We, 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 you know, we love the Wilbur's of this world. It sounds be, like a Brazilian <laughs> fruit or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, some of these guys are going to have long and storied careers as Cricket Australia 11 members, I feel. Um, but no, the three left armers uh, took, took three wickets each. Uh, Muhammad Amir, three for 15. Uh, Wahab Riaz, three for 28. And Rahat Ali, uh, three for 26. So that was the perfect yeah. lead up for them in terms of getting the getting some confidence ahead of that first test match. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get a read on what the wicket was like up there, obviously, and, you know, not being... Around, I've seen Australia A matches in Townsville, but I haven't mm. been to the ground at Cairns. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, we, we always have this sort of green seamer myth at the Gabba every year where we're like, oh, there'll be a lot of carry and bounce and, and seam movement. And there never is. It's a bloody road. Yeah. Um, and, and someone always makes a you know, metric ton of runs. And, you know, it's not actually anywhere near as much of bowler's paradise as you expect. There's some lift in it. You know, Mitchell Johnson exploited that in 2013 for the that Ashes test, got some bounce out of it. But it's not really a seamer's paradise. The one thing it is, well, the one thing that it's not is a... Is a drop in, so it's a proper cricket wicket still. Yeah. So I think we can it could take some 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 heart in that. Um, Azar Ali made eighty two not out, and two hundred and nine balls, probably the latter number more important than the former there. Um, he can seriously occupy the crease and had a fantastic series against Australia in, in late twenty fourteen over in the yeah, UAE. He did. He's and the next. That was really when he came through. I think like that was kind of when he um, absolutely sealed himself as a quality player, and then mm. he's just gone from strength to strength since. Mohammad Nawaz took three in the second dig. He may play because Yassir Shah is coming in with a niggle. Nawaz just sounds like a shortened way of saying no worries. Yeah, no. Like, like in proper <laughs> Australian. Yeah, no worries, mate. 
know, Nawaz. Yeah. Not the first Nawaz to play in this country either. Yeah, of he's just just taking it easy, you know. Like just he's just too chilling. easy, bro. Yeah, just chilling. No, no dramas. No, no whacking furries. No dram drams. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so he's a, he's a chilled out cat. He's just... he, he took he played against the West Indies in those tests in the UAE. So he's got some right. experience. He's three tests old, so to speak. Right, but I mean, but Pakistan Yassi, are pretty good at having guys coming in in their first or second test and absolutely yeah. dominating Australia. I remember Sulfur Kababa. Sulfur Kababa. Bow bow. And on his, yeah. in his third test, I think, and and, and Yassir Sharon on 42. debut. Yeah, I mean, Yassir Shah on debut as well just absolutely ruined us in the Emirates. You know, different conditions out here, but nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I mean, Muhammad Ami, you're on a Brisbane deck with a pink ball and twilight. I'm looking forward to it. Just cut through to the Australians form, the, the half a dozen guys who didn't play in the one-day series but are going to be part of this Australian eleven. Usman Khawaja uh, made 157 and 61. Thanks for coming. Nice have, a nice, have a nice day. Uh, Nick Maddinson made 80. He's buoyed by that, uh, making 80 under lights uh, for New South Wales. He made a duck in the second dig, mind you. But um, I think that uh, in his press conference yesterday, he, he, he wanted to focus on the on the positive, needless to say. About yeah, the but <laughs> also that's expected. That's his style. He's a mercurial player. You know, game changer at number six. You've got to be able to make a duck. You've got to be able to make an 80 and a zero. He's yeah. very 80 and a zero kind of player, isn't yeah, he? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Peter Hanscom. Zero to 80 in one innings. <laughs> yeah. In good bowling conditions, Peter Hanscom um, didn't make tons of runs. 17 and 30. Um, Matthew Renshaw returned to earth somewhat with 38 and 2, but he probably batted for about seven hours for that 38. Yeah, probably 740 balls. Yeah, so he's doing his job there. Uh, Jackson Bird and Nathan Lyon both took five wickets apiece for their respective states. And as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, Nathan Lyon made 61. So I'm sure we have something to celebrate there. So they're all in vaguely good nick. No one's had a nightmare um, in the Sheffield Shield. They're in great job. I'll tell you who's in great nick. India, Virat Kohli, oh. three three triple centuries in six months this year. Yeah, I'm glad. What a ridiculous. I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this because this was this was the Test match that was there for England to square up this series. Yep. And look, they they had um they had a uh, 400. They made 400 in the first innings, and I mean, they had that should seven, that should be enough. Well, they had seven for 364 when when yeah. Giant joined Virat at the crease. That's a great name too, Giant Yadav. I'm not just your regular Yadav. I'm, I'm a Giant Yadav, and he's good too. I'm really a GWS like Giant Yadav. They put on a 241 for the eighth wicket or something ridiculous. Yeah, and, and how is it that India can go? Oh yeah, we've just unearthed another number nine who can who's a proper Test match bowler who can make tons. Yeah, that, that's the third. I mean, Jadeja's made 100, and yeah. Ashwin's made about 10 hundreds or yeah. something, mostly against the West Indies. But still, yeah. he's made plenty of runs. He bats number six now, doesn't he? He's, he's so. in the Adam Voges mould of the West Indies specialist. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, 235. Pulled up some cracking stats about Virat Kohli this morning, thanks to Fadushna Hantaraja. Well, first of all, this was an anecdote. So um, as soon as Giants dismissed... Um, the next over, uh, Coley walks down the track and takes Chris Wokes straight back over his head for six. He's made 1,200 runs this year. It's only his second six. You compare that to the IPL. Right. He hit 38 sixes in the IPL. So, I mean, it gives you a sense of yeah. how this multi-format king can turn it on, and it's a real sign of, like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I, I've I mean, got this game. The level-headedness to, to go, well, I, I'm, I'm going to be very deliberate with how I approach my cricket, you know, and, and it's the kind of ruthlessness you saw in someone like Bradman where he just never hit sixes in test matches, yeah. but he, yeah, he could hit mountains of them in low-grade cricket if he didn't care, but he wasn't going to take that risk, you know, and he was always, well, you can't get out if you don't hit it in the air. And there was that Matthew Hayden rejoinder where he's like, yeah, there's a lot of room in the air, Don, <laughs> which, which I quite enjoy. Um, but, but nonetheless, I mean, Coley comes in and says, well, why, why take the risk? Let's just hit boundaries, you know, um, let's rotate the struck. But, I mean, his sequence through this year is absolutely absurd. 40, 49 not out. 167, 81, 62, 6 not out, 
235. And it's been enough to push him up to the number one ranking in, in, in the test spot. I think he's about to overtake yeah. Steve Smith, according to what I read on Twitter this morning as well. So, that, again, that's, you know, his test record's been marginally, albeit inferior to his limited overs record, but he now seems until, to have... Until the last year, I reckon. Yeah. Because yeah. he had that, he made 400s on that tour of Australia in 1415. Yep. Then he sort of had a quietish 2015. He made 100 in Sri Lanka, which was a, a good one that year. But, you know, that was his only other ton in, in 2015. But then this year, to turn it on with three doubles and a, and a big single, you know, in the space of six months, it, when when he's really going, he's he knows how to gorge. I've got another one for you here. Freddie Wild picked this up um, uh, on, on Twitter for uh, Crickviz, I think it was, uh, that um, he scored this year, uh, sorry, Collie in this series has scored 360 runs against spin. That's more than every single England player combined. <laughs> <laughs> Well, David Warner beat New Zealand by about nine runs at the MCG. True so can happen. But but I, but I think that in a way, I mean, this series has been in, has been defined by the idea that England India spinners are so far superior yeah. to England's. But how, how would you feel if you were an English spinner having to rock up against Virat yep. and Murli Vijay, uh, you know, doing as they please? Uh, this well, is exactly. not this is not easy conditions to bowl in. I mean, I think yeah. they've been you know people will speak ill of them and people say they, always speak ill of Indian decks. But this is like they're not. The raging turners, they're not the sort of, you know, unplayable clay court pitchers that we've seen at times. You know, they, they've been pretty okay cricket wickets. There have been some good scores from both sides. It's yeah. just been about who's got the application to and, stay in. And even a bloke on debut, so Keaton Jennings from Durham, yep. who's made a... I think it's quite timely they've got a new South African. 2005, Kevin Peterson. 2009, Jonathan Trott. Preparing for a new Ashes series. Blooding in a new South African. In Ke- I shouldn't really get stuck in there, really. I think he, I think he moved in his 13 or something, but still. Yeah. Gonna, he's um, uh, made 100 on debut and obviously not faced by the fact that he'd never even been to India before he got called up last week to the test squad, walks in and makes a ton. Well, someone, I can't remember who made this, this point, but, but it was quite a good one. That, you know, maybe South Africa should look at why all these players keep leaving. You know, maybe that's more the issue than, than the fact that players are moving to England, is that they don't want to stay in the South African system. I wonder how old he was when he went over there. I'm sure this will come up in extensive conversation in the lead-up to the Ashes, but it's pretty handy having Keaton Jennings, the, the real estate agency. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's Charlie Reynolds was uh, reflecting on that. Uh, and and, and uh, Hasib. Um, who's came through in this series as well. So they've, they've replenished the stock suitably, um, thinking ahead to next November when we yeah. know how important, to, I mean, to both sides, obviously, but they do think in an Ashes context almost every series they play. Well, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, yeah, when they're coming up here against this against this absolute god of batting. It's like 41 or 42 international hundreds by now, and, and he's 28 years old. You reckon um, he'll get to 100 hundreds, don't you? I, I, honestly, I think he could make 60 or 70 in one-day cricket um, and top up the difference in tests. Extremely exciting, as will the pink ball test be this week. I made a blue on the podcast two weeks ago saying that it was going to start at 2 p.m. and we get an extra hour um, under lights in Brisbane due to the lack of daylight savings. It actually cascaded at 14 hours, so it's going to be three. starting at 1 a.m. 1pm rather, 1pm, not 1am. 1am be great one test match. sensational. <laughs> I would be rolling up to that test <laughs> you, match. You'd be rolling to, I'd be in that wristband from your, uh, from your weekend away at Meredith every weekend. Straight, straight from <laughs> straight, the dance floor yeah. down to the test match. From the tiles Steve O'Keefe style. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but no, starting at 1pm, so it'll only be one hour of uh, true light, which I'm a bit disappointed by that, but oh well, that's, that's probably advantage Australia marginally because in a test match where you think that the fast bowling is going to dictate uh, the eventual result, um, mm. their, their fast bowling is, is as we mentioned before, uh, on point. Uh, and the pressure will be brought back on Australia. It's a marquee test series. There's a reason they're playing this test series here. Um, it's because Pakistan, until very recently, were the best team in the world, uh, according to the rankings. And I think that uh, despite how well the last few weeks have gone with the white ball, and certainly in Adelaide when they fought back nicely, yep. um, the summer will be defined by what happens next. Yeah, and I expect it to be you know one of those pretty low-scoring 
tests up at Brisbane. You know, it'll probably just be down to one, one or two performances with the bat. Who's able to hold it together? And the smart money, money would have to be on Usman. He's batted a lot at the Gabba, and he's been had tremendous success there this year. And he's in superb nick. I think that's about enough for us, Jeff. We fit a lot in today. Thanks for Brittany Carter for joining us for that middle section on the WBBL. We'll of course be back with you next week from Brisbane after that Test match. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon for the final word.